0: Hello and welcome back to our second episode of our special series on the Eurozone crisis. Last week we talked about the basis of the crisis and how it started and how it spread through the system. This week we'll be talking about uh, the bailouts of nations and how it's actually the bailout of German and French banks, and also the politics of austerity and what austerity does to a national economy. Hello and welcome to the Envoy podcast for the 23rd of August. I'm your host, Nathan Shaw. The failure in the private sector of these big banks was bailed out, instead of directly by the government, instead via bailouts to national governments so that they could then pay French and German banks and cover their asset loss to keep them solvent. And so that's the idea behind the bailouts is that you're going to give money to those economies, Greece, Portugal, Ireland, that kind of thing, and allow them to pay the banks To keep the banks solvent and so it's not the idea that italy spain portugal ireland greece were all just taking in money and spending it willy-nilly and being very wasteful and they made all this debt which is now a problem and that we need to crack down on these this national sovereign debt although in the case of the greek government there is valid criticism for corruption within the government in the past but the same cannot be said to say ireland or portugal it was that the banks in europe particularly in north in germany and france Overlent, overexposed themselves. And when suddenly the mortgage crisis occurred in America, they were suddenly caught red-handed and they had no way to save themselves. And so how we saved them was that the European Union gave money to those national governments, bailing out Ireland, bailing out Greece. And that bailout money just goes right back into the German or the French banking sector, keeping them solvent and keeping them going. But by doing so, you then leave Those who've been bailed out with this bailout cost that they need to then cover, and so you suddenly see this spike in government debt, which we call sovereign debt. And you might have heard of the idea of the sovereign debt crisis in Europe. There's been an orgy of spending. It's been utterly unsustainable, and we need to crack down on it. But it's really not true at all. If you look at the figures of Greek debt and other euro debt, you can see it. It steadily increases, and it almost basically become stagnant. And then you hit the crisis and suddenly it spikes. It's not spiking because they're spending spending lots of money on the economy and you know, paying for first class healthcare and massive payouts to workers and, and social security. It's because they were bailed out. And the money for the bailout went through their system and then into the German and French banking sector to bail out effectively the banks in, in Germany and France. But in the end, that means the cost is borne by the Greek public because they now have this bailout expense to pay. But the bailouts are so large that they're not really going to be able to cover it because one, their economy is uncompetitive because of the issues we aforementioned discussed earlier. But also they just fundamentally don't have the strength to bear that kind of bailout. They shouldn't have been given the money in the first place. It was this artificial uh, reduction in yields because people thought, oh, they're in the euro. Suddenly Greece is like Germany all of a sudden, despite clear delineations between the two of not being the same economy or beast at all, meant that you have a situation where German money goes to a Greek government to pay back a German bank. That means the Greeks need to pay back their debt. If they're unwilling to, then it means the Germans have the debt put back on their heads. And that means the German workers will then have to pay for a bailout of their own banks. And that's a tough pill to swallow. And it's why we had this discussion of lazy Greeks uh, and this kind of destructive politics within Europe. At the same time as this talk of austerity, and the fact that and that the Greeks weren't happy with the implementation of the bailout and it being forced on them by the Germans and vice versa. But another part of this was something called austerity, an idea that countries were bailing out places like Ireland and Greece, even though they're in effect bailing out the national banks of, you know, say, France and Germany, among others. There were going to be some strings attached to this bailout, and so they were going to say, you know, it's a sovereign debt crisis. You've spent too much money. That's why we have to bail you out. And we need to make sure that you're financially responsible. So we're going to make sure you have to cut on various social spendings and whatnot, not be so profligate with your spending. And that way you will have enough money to pay us back and you'll be a disciplined spender. And so this is the idea of austerity that was imposed effectively on other governments around Europe by Germany predominantly. So austerity, as I've just mentioned, is this idea that you're gonna cut back on spending, maybe even increase taxes. The idea is that you're going to be more constrained in the government spending. That way, you'll save enough money that you'll be able to pay off your debts. However, there's a problem with that. If you increase your taxes and decrease your spending into the economy as a government, that's a contractionary force. You're taking more money out of the economy, putting less money into the economy. It means people won't have enough money to buy goods, they'll spend less, that reduces demand, and the economy starts receding more and more. And so if austerity shrinks your economy, that makes it harder to pay back your debt and makes your debt actually look even worse. And there's a simple mathematical way of thinking about this. Think that you have a fraction, one over three. And so one on top is your debt and three on the bottom is your economy. And so if you go one divided by three, that equals 33%. So say your debt to GDP ratio, the amount of debt you have relative to your economy is only 33%. It's a fair portion, but it's not that much. But say that you start doing austerity and you cut and cut And you managed to shrink your economy from three down to two. And so that fraction looks like one over two. Well, your debt hasn't changed in absolute value, but your economy has. And so when you go one divided by two, you get 50%. And so your debt increases relative to the size of your economy as you cut and you start doing austerity. So this idea of austerity to try and pay back your debt makes no sense whatsoever because you're actually making the debt harder to deal with because your economy is shrinking and not growing. And the people who suffer the most in this foot the bill twice. Once is through higher unemployment as there's lower growth and the economy is shrinking. So less people are able to find work. So they're worse off in that to respect but also because if you're cutting, you're reducing your spending on things like social security, uh, public sector expenses and services, and things like unemployment benefits. So not only have you lost your job, you're also maybe getting less money on your unemployment benefits, so you're even worse off than you would have been, all under the auspices of austerity to deal with a sovereign debt crisis that wasn't an actual sovereign debt crisis. It was a private sector crisis that was bailed out by the public sector. Now, this may seem like a very silly thing to do, And why would the very intelligent people of Europe running the economy do such a thing? Well, there's two reasons. One is the political reason, the idea that it was politically unpalatable to tell the people that they were going to bail out the assets of the wealthiest in society by bailing out the banks and that no one was really going to go to jail for it. It was much easier to blame foreigners for the problem and put the austerity issue on them to make them feel at home that we're punishing those who are responsible, punishing the Greeks or the Irish or the Spanish or Portuguese, instead of punishing those who caused the problem, the bankers who should have gone to jail. But there was another kind of economic argument made to try and support this idea. And it's a very funny and quite silly idea, but I'm going to explain it to you because it's quite interesting and the kind of backwards logic that has been used. So there's this economic idea known as Ricardian equivalence, And it's the hypothesis that consumers are forward-looking and that they internalize government's budgets when making consumption decisions and so it's basically like saying if i see the government spending lots of money now i know they're going to have to increase taxes later on to make up for that extra spending so i'm going to have to pay more taxes in the future my lifetime earnings have gone down i need to save more and so as the government spends to try and improve the economy i save which hurts the economy and you have this Ricardian equivalence, as nothing goes anywhere, you get a sum of zero and nothing happens. And so the idea is that deficit spending doesn't work because consumers in the private sector will expect higher taxes in the future. But like so many economic theories, it's based on this assumption that consumers are forward-looking. And in actual fact, humans are, despite being somewhat rational, not perfectly rational. And while some people may be able to spot in the future they're gonna have to pay more taxes and change, most people won't, especially those who are in dire straits and they just need to eat. And so when you take this Ricardian equivalence idea that he used to justify austerity, you get this very funny situation. Imagine you're a citizen of a country and the economy is in real dire straits. Your partner has just lost their job. You might not have your job within a few weeks or a month, but you hear that the government has made a credible commitment to slash government spending. And what you think is think, well, that means there's not gonna be as many taxes in the future. That means I then calculate my lifetime earnings and realize I've actually got more money than I expected. And realizing this, I go out and buy a whole bunch of things, everyone else does this at the same time, and it cures the recession because we've all spent, we've put some growth into the economy, and the economy's gonna go keep booming along. If you actually talk about the theory in real world terms, it makes no sense whatsoever. If you're in that situation, very few people are thinking about the long-term tax implications of government spending and what and are calculating their total lifetime income and then adjusting their current behavior with those four projections in mind. All you do when you cut spending like this is that you take more and more heat out of the economy that's already struggling and you make it a recession even worse because normally when there's a recession you have the automatic stabilizers that come into place. As people lose their jobs they get unemployment benefits. Those mean those people can spend in the economy. They don't have much money, they can't really save because they need to just eat. So they spend that money and that means demand goes up when it otherwise would keep falling if those people had no money. And that softens the blow of the recession and makes it shorter and not as deep. However, it does increase government debt. But that's normal, it's expected. When you have an economy in a slump, you spend as the government, and you increase your debt to get the economy moving again. And when it's going really, really well, you cut back on spending, increase taxes, and pay off your debt while times are good. And so this Ricardian equivalence argument that was used makes no sense in the actual real world economy. And so in summary, we've discussed the bailout as a bailout of national banks in Germany and France, among others, via the economies and the governments of other nations. And we've also talked about austerity, this idea that being unable to blame the banks Instead, nations were blamed, and the politics of austerity was used to punish those people as, a, as an attempt to placate people at home under this very backwards economic thinking that made no sense in the real world. Next week, we'll be talking about the political effects of this austerity and the euro crisis in general, both on an international stage and also on a domestic stage and this rise of nationalism and populism within Europe. That's it for this week's podcast. I've been your host, Nathan Shaw. You can find our website at envoyfpa.org. You can find us at Facebook and Instagram. And if you have any comments, queries, or suggestions, you can send them to our email at envoyuwa at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with more in this special series.